right. Welcome to the conversation on the Young Turks. Great guest for you guys. Nomi Prince. She is a former managing director at Goldman Sachs, but don't worry. She's a good guy. Uh, she's been on the Young Turks many times. One of the top experts in the country uh, on these financial issues in the Federal Reserve. She's written Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World, and It Takes a Pillage. Nomi, great to have you back on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Nutsy, nut, nutsy times. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, now uh, I want to get to how the Federal Reserve is handing out money. I think that's the most interesting thing in the world. Uh, but before we get there, just real quick, uh, who is benefiting? It's going to lead into this. Who is benefiting the most from uh, these bailouts so far? Uh, big business or small business? Now, I know the answer. We all know the answer, right? But give us a sense of scale. Yeah, so um, there's different ways to look at this. It's definitely big business on the win for themselves versus smaller businesses and, and individuals. And, and they've had help um, by the bailouts that have been structured through the stimulus packages from Congress, as well as from the Federal Reserve, as well as from the Treasury Department, i.e. Steve Mnuchin, former foreclosure king, um, and Goldman Sachs partner, who is in the middle of all of that, having negotiated, I think, a really, really sweet deal uh, for Wall Street banks, for major corporations, but particularly for Wall Street banks, actually, even though, um, you know, they, uh, they, they should be lending out money anyway, because that's their job. Um, but they're actually getting propped up by multiple, multiple different ways uh, from the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, i.e. the taxpayer, um, and even the stimulus package. So explain that a little bit more, because, um, you know, we're told it, it's going to the businesses because they need to employ people, et cetera. But why the banks? Why is it going to the banks? So there, there is a portion going to small businesses, but, but it's going through bank portals, right? So banks get allocated money from the SBA loan program, and they then parcel it out to, first and foremost, their ongoing clients. So, for example, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, Bank of America, even Wells Fargo, they have ongoing relationships with people, um, loans that they've given them, say, in the past. And, and based on them already being clients, they sort of get an easier treatment in terms of getting SBA loans. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because these are individuals who um, could use those loans and may get those loans. But the process is, is really mired in red tape. Um, and having that relationship to begin with means that the people that don't have a relationship to begin with with the bank from whom they've already gotten loans has a much harder time getting a chunk of those loans. But, but there's more to that. On the other side, the actual loans, um, which was about a $260 billion out of a $2.2 trillion stimulus package, um, there's what the Fed did most recently which is the Fed decided that they would actually encourage the banks who are part of the SBA loan program to lend under the SBA loan program, under the stimulus package, by offering to buy the loans that the banks make with money that isn't theirs because it comes through the loan program um, and, and buy them and basically pay the banks for the loans they've just made to people during this process, for which the banks are also getting a 5% fee. So there's all these little cutouts that happen that are part of the sort of the main you know sort of main orchestration of of that package and then the bigger numbers part of the stimulus package was about 500 billion dollars worth of money from the treasury department to corporations through the fed what the fed does is take that money multiplies it by you know sort of fed magic um, and then that money can be used to tune a four and a half trillion to five trillion dollars to lend out to big corporations 
So what looked like a $2.2 trillion package is actually somewhere like a $6.5 trillion package with most of it going through the Fed to companies and, and to banks that are involved with those companies and with the small business association loans. So let's break down the big business part. Small business part, I get, and there's actually some logic to it. The reason they're using the banks is because they want to make the process quicker. If you go apply to the government, the government doesn't have infrastructure for loans. It's more difficult. It'll take a longer period of time. So they incentivize the banks with a certain uh, interest rates and certain percentages, et cetera. I get it. And that actually does get to the small businesses. So far, not that bad. Now, when we uh, turn to the big businesses, then it becomes this black box and all the rest of us lose track of it. So there's this a much, much bigger piece of the pie going to big businesses. So is it the same concept? The banks get 5% and then loan the money to uh, multinational corporations or is it different? Um, there's a couple of different ways that the big businesses will get money during this entire process. Um, one is yes, through the through the through a stimulus package, that five hundred billion dollars gets multiplied um, at the Fed into lots of more money, and that money then goes through banks to those big corporations. So they're still going through um, whoever their banks are, but it's money that's been multiplied under that corporate process um, and going through banks, sort of like small people, but for small people and small businesses that money isn't multiplied um, to that kind of effect. So it, it has a, a larger multiplication factor uh, for the big businesses. And the other thing the Fed's also doing um, is loans that are already outstanding from those same big businesses, bonds that are already outstanding, debt they've already taken out that they have to repay, but they can't repay right now because they, they don't have as much money coming in. The Fed is buying the debt from those corporations as well and just kind of holding it. And we're financing part of that whole. So part of the stimulus package is saying, for example, and this is just one of many, pro the Fed has many programs, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but just let's talk about one that buys the debt of these big corporations. It's just one of them. So basically the Treasury Department gives the Fed $10 billion and the Fed turns that into sort of 10 times that. And then it basically allows banks to lend that money to corporations or it buys those corporate that's saying corporations' debt. So now it's holding the debt. The corporations don't have to worry about it because they receive money for that debt. And then they go and borrow more under another program in order to keep themselves afloat. So it's like they have multiple ways of tapping into the well. Um, and yes, it's good that small businesses are getting a piece as well of, of the entire stimulus package, but but their well is just, just, just way more shallow. Uh, okay, so, no, I mean, it looks like there's two parts of that uh, that are critical. One is the multiplying of the money, uh, and then uh, the other is, how does the Fed buy something? That's I think that's the most interesting part. But first, for folks who don't know, what does it mean that the Fed multiplies the money? It's 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 really like they multiply the money. They, they receive um, a piece of money, in, in one case from the Treasury Department, and, and because they're the Fed, they're able to say, all right, well, that, that money, is it's like collateral for... Like it's almost like a loan to themselves um, in a way where they basically borrow money that they create, they electronically create, and they use that money to, to, to buy bonds, to buy debt of corporations or banks or so forth. Um, and then they keep those bonds back on their books. So it's like the, the seed money acts as collateral for them to grow or to leverage that money 
into a larger amount, and then they use that larger amount to go back and do the same thing multiple times. Where do they get that money from? They they literally just create it out of out of like electronic movements, um, and then they have a balance sheet of their own. Um, and that balance sheet right now, it's about six trillion dollars worth of bonds they've bought, uh, about two trillion of which they've just bought in the last few weeks. Um, so so they they're basically just expanding their their own ability to create money. Um, and somewhere beneath all that money, there's there's a little bit of real money. Um, that real money is coming from the Treasury Department, i.e. the taxpayer. Um, what they're creating off of it, again, is sort of electronic. Sometimes they can just create electronic money without that seed money. They do that, too. That's one portion of the many different things that they're doing. That's called um, quantitative easing. That's another element of what the Fed's been doing uh, throughout, well, since the financial crisis um, and also in, in, the, in the more recent times in sort of a, a mega speed. So I love that you call it electronic movement. Uh, I, I'd like to get some of that electronic movement going we myself. All, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. to, uh, magically create money. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, a store and be like, no, no, it's okay. I quantitatively eased my way into buying that computer. Well, no, um, it's like this. It's just like you go in and you're like, here's a quarter to like the store. And the store's like, you know what? We're just going to say that quarter is worth like 250 bucks. Knock yourselves out. Go buy more stuff. It's like that. Yeah. Okay. It, I know it's literally like that, and it's amazing. So let's let's talk about what it means for the Federal Reserve to have a balance sheet. So they buy this stuff. They have bought six trillion dollars worth of stuff. Is it just loans? Is it a assets, etc.? And and what does that mean? So who owns it if the Fed bought it? So the Fed owns it while it's on the Fed's balance sheet, and the Fed's created money in order to buy it and uses that money to pay mostly banks who, who hold a lot of the debt to begin with um, for their debt. So for example, the Treasury Department issues debt to you know finance the country and banks, large banks are kind of the middle men who get that debt from the Treasury Department and, and sell it out to, to pension funds, to other countries and so forth. In this case, the Fed or at least a portion goes to the Fed. So Treasury Department borrows money, it goes through the banks, and it goes to the Fed. In return for money, the Fed magically creates that goes to the banks in return for that debt. So ultimately, there's this, this sort of circle, and that's just Treasury uh, debt. There's the same thing with mortgage debt. There's the same thing now with corporate debt, which we're, we're talking about now. That's a, a new kind of debt that the Fed's doing this for. Um, and most recently, they've allowed themselves or some relationship with the with, with part of Congress and the Treasury Department has, and under their emergency uh, powers acts, they now allow themselves to take risky debt. So now they can do the same thing. They can magically create money. They can buy junk bonds, i.e. bonds that will default. Um, creations of Wall Street called CLOs, which are collections of loans to corporations that might default, that aren't paying out. And the Fed will be like, you know what, we're going to create money and we're going to buy them. We're going to take them into our, our house, onto our balance sheet, um, and here's the cash. And so they now have these assets on their balance sheet. They, they have them, they're holding them in return for cash. Now, in theory, at some point that reverts. At some point, the bank's like, you know what? We want that debt back. Here's your cash. But like, that part doesn't happen. Yeah, it's super important. I want to get to that in a second. But uh, it's all been super fascinating. Thank you. Uh, so now, 
they create the money magically through electronic movements. Uh, then they buy assets with it. So does anyone ever buy those assets? They must, right? Because I, I heard that they during 2008, oh, don't worry, the banks paid everything back and the American government actually made money from it. Um, but are they referring to the Treasury or are they talking to the Fed? Uh, talking about the Fed? Did the Fed sell back any of that stuff? And if it did, why does it have six trillion sitting on its uh, balance sheet? Well, you see that that last question that that is that that that's the real question. Those are all great, great, great questions. And relating to that one, um, no, they they didn't buy the assets back. The banks didn't take the assets that they gave the Fed in return for money back. That never happened. So so when we hear about how. The banks paid back with interest the money they were, you know, given by the by the federal government. Yes, there was a pot of seven hundred billion dollars, which was in created by uh, the Emergency Stabilization Act, which created TARP, um, and they used that money to sort of dole out to different banks to make them whole on bad assets they created and bad credit derivatives bets that they made. And at some point, those were repaid. Now, why were they repaid? Because that's the really good question. They were repaid because the banks that basically got the money from the Treasury Department, from the government, from us, got money from the Fed in order to repay that money. So it's not like rocket science that if somebody gives you money to repay something else to someone else, that you look really good in the process. It's not your money. The money came from the Fed. The banks don't repay the Fed. That's why, towards the end of your question, that's why the Fed has multiple trillions of dollars of assets still left on its books. And that's why under this um, crisis 2.0, the Fed is increasing the size of its books and the money it's creating to give to banks for their assets in a much larger, more quick way. So let me try to get this right. So we got a toxic asset that the bank created. And back in the day, it was because uh, they bet on housing and uh, those are bad bets. There were bad mortgages in there. Uh, and they bundled them together, and that asset was going to blow up. Now, we have some of that today, too, in a different context, but that's easier to understand because a lot of people have heard about that, right? right? So the bank has that. Normally, it would blow up in their account, and when they went to go sell it, if it was worth, let's keep it easy, if it was worth 100 bucks, uh, it's now worth maybe 40 bucks. Uh-oh, right. they lost 60 bucks, and they're in a lot of trouble, right? Right. But instead, they sold it to the Fed. Right. Now... When they sell it to the Fed, who determines how much uh, they pay for? Do they pay the hundred bucks that the bank was claiming, or do they pay the forty bucks that it's actually worth? They pay the hundred bucks. So <laughs> of course, <laughs> it's, I mean, like, and, and they did during the the subprime crisis, um, and, and that's what they're doing now. And during the subprime crisis, the the idea that why they did that was because, well. What, we didn't have time, you know, things were in crisis, you know, things needed to move, the you liquidity know, needed to get back into the system, markets were going to die, people weren't going to be able to get money out of ATMs. Um, it's not dissimilar now, except they're not even bothering to sort of go through that rhetoric. Now it's just like, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, and so banks, especially now that the Fed can buy, not just, you know, then it was toxic mortgages, now it's toxic corporate loans and other things, literally every, any other kind of financial asset, just, just period, the banks have almost, um, they can now buy in the same manner. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a hundred bucks for everything, whether it's worth, you know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 30 bucks. They're, they're paying effectively full price. So I'm going to get to who the Fed is in a second, because I got some stuff to sell. 
<laughs> I think we all do. Uh, and so who gets to make these sweetheart deals? But let's keep going on on how this works. So if, if now they have the $6 trillion of stuff that they have bought, and my guess is people don't sell them valuable things that they're going to make a profit off of. They sell them or unload on them the worst garbage they have because right. they want to get it all, get rid of it, right? right. So almost by definition, the Fed has six trillion dollars worth of garbage, which they almost never sell, uh, and people probably are not interested in buying. And I don't even know that there's a market for that. Well, so, some of the garbage is is treasury bonds. So there is a portion. Let's say you know every every business has some like sort of legit kind of element. Um, a lot of the other stuff is. Um, is mortgage bonds, it will be corporate bonds, it will be corporate loans, it will be all this other stuff that's part of the rest of that $6 trillion. And that $6 trillion is growing, like literally as we're talking right now. Um, that $6 trillion, I think, and I'm just estimating, I, it's just my own opinion of how this is going to go, I think that $6 trillion goes to 8 or $9 trillion by the time this you know, particular crisis is, is, is somewhat um, you know, resolved for the financial system. So, okay, can they... As long as we're making up money uh, and they've already bought $6 trillion worth of stuff, some legitimate like treasury and some toxic assets. Um, and so what's stopping them from buying $60 trillion worth nothing. of junk? Literally, literally nothing. I mean, it, nothing was stopping them last financial crisis, um, except for at some point, um, sort of there was other games in town, right? So at some point banks, companies, the stock market, it was all sort of working enough that the Fed didn't have to buy as much um, at those prices because they could get those prices in the market. One of the reasons they could get some of the prices in the market that were higher is because the Fed already kind of created this you know, sort of artificial value of what their stuff was worth to begin with. But, but at some point, that artificial value became, for banks and companies, the market value um, that they could get for it. And, and so there was kind of a stoppage in the growth of their balance sheet, but there's no, there's no rule. Under their emergency um, act, they, the emergency part of the, the Federal Reserve Act, they can basically grow their balance sheet as much as they need to to keep sort of the system in place. So the the main problem, right, is if they print too much money or these days electronic movements, uh, then presumably inflation is going to go up. Is that the main issue? Um, inflation goes up anyway because they're buying all these, you know, at some point inflation of stock, inflation of yeah, the value of debt that shouldn't have that value. The whole idea of what prices should be get totally out of whack um, for any financial security. Like everything just has is valued at much higher than it should be. And so there's an element of inflation there, but it's for those particular assets. Um, inflation has happened. Look, before even this crisis, this this component of of what I think has been a crisis since the financial crisis of 2008 um, happened. There was already inflation in everything that everyday people need to use in their real lives. You know, there was inflation in rents, there's inflation in education, there's inflation obviously in healthcare, there's inflation in, in, in medical supply, there's inflation in so many places um, because a lot of money was going into markets as opposed to going into like really building things and creating a sort of more uh, foundationally sound economy. So so there there is a worry of inflation, um, but, but inflation in terms of real like economic growth it uh, doesn't happen because of these movements. It, it doesn't happen because these movements are fictitious. You know, if you're creating money out of thin air and buying stuff with it, it doesn't really value um, you know, the foundation of the economy. It just sort of values the financial assets that it goes after. Um, and that's the problem here. 
So if they wanted to, so uh, Anderson Cooper has asked uh, Bernie Sanders approximately 3,000 times, how are you going to pay for that? So let's take student debt because that's an easy one because it's also debt. If they wanted to, instead of buying toxic assets from the banks and just putting it on their balance sheet, could the Federal Reserve take the $1.4 trillion in student debt and just buy it? Um, yeah, they, 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 they absolutely could because they would basically, you know, through the same process, um, they would basically create some money, say, seated by the Treasury Department, if the Treasury part Department wanted to get involved, um, you know, inflate that amount of money, you know, sort of electronically create more um, and, and buy up those loans. And then the payments from uh, those loans would basically go to the Fed at some point in the future, but the students would be made whole. Um, in other words, they would receive the cash for, um, you know, what, what they owed on those loans. It, it would go down to a net zero for them. Um, but that's something that we just, we, we can't come to terms with um, in, in this country. This idea that, that the multiple trillions of dollars that are being created in order to buy um, a combination of government debt and mostly corporate debt, um, including bank debt, including all sorts of, um, you know, securities that banks create, that's available. Um, but but it, somehow it's not available when it's it's student loan debt, which is also debt, in a way that actually absolves students of having that debt on their heads. So, Naomi, before we run out of time, uh, everybody's on pins and needles. Who the hell is the Fed? Because they're not individuals uh, in running their own business or, you know, they're human beings, but they're, they're not doing it for themselves, right? Uh, they're not uh, businesses. They're not the government. Who are they? So there are a bunch of people that are that are um, approved by the government, you know, selected by the president to effectively, um, you know, their, their MO is, is supposedly maintain stability in, the, in in the markets and then you know create a, a good employment situation, keep inflation low, and all these things that are in their mandate. But but the reality is, um, the Fed was created by. Uh, the banks um, back in the early 1900s, the Federal Reserve Act was, pay, was passed in 1913, but even up and through that year, uh, up until that year, um, by banks who were concerned that when there was a recession or if there was a problem or if there was a run on banks or, or a liquidity issue for banks, that they had nowhere to go besides the Treasury Department. If the Treasury Department couldn't back them, they needed someone else to back them that didn't have to get an okay from the Treasury Department. That's ultimately how the Federal Reserve, which is the, the sort of bank, it's a, it's a central bank, it's it's the big bank that's there, and that's why and how it was created to lend money to banks when they're having problems. Now, banks are members of the Federal Reserve, so it's like they're lending money to their own members when their own members have problems, um, and those members at the time it was created were supposed to put in money um, sort of on reserve, that's why it's called the Federal Reserve, they're supposed to reserve money into this entity that that is selected by the government but is supposed to operate independently um, and, and reserve that money there. But over time what's happened and certainly most recently is the Fed just creates money rather than uses that reserve to help the banks when they have problems under the guise of helping the overall economy and it's all gotten completely out of whack. Amazing. Okay, now we're massively out of time but I'm going to keep going uh, <laughs> because it's too interesting. So. Um, all right, so the banks created the Federal Reserve, which now print money and give it to the banks. That's right. They did it through the government. They had, you know, it was all sort of friends and family. But yeah, that's basically how it works. Okay, that's obviously outrageous. But helpful um, to them, so helpful. Yes, um, very helpful to know. Okay, so 
and and so, like for example, the New York uh, Federal Reserve. So the there's several different Federal Reserves that feed into the overall system, right? There's St. Louis Federal Reserve, New York Federal Reserve. The New York Federal Reserve, their board is made up of the giant banks, J.P. Morgan, right. Bank of America, et cetera. Is that correct? Their 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 board members uh, include directors of the major banks. They rotate. So it could be, you know, the CEO of Morgan Stanley. Back in the last, last financial crisis, it was Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. So th there's a rotational thing. Um, and other people are involved as well, but but primarily the sort of what they call Class A directors um, are basically, you know, CEOs of the biggest Wall Street banks. So, of course, when they go to buy a couple of trillion dollars worth of assets, they're not going to buy your moped. They're right. going to buy that toxic assets of the banks because the people making the decision are the heads of the banks. Right. And they don't <laughs> want those assets because why would they if they can get money for them? Why would you want that moped in your garage that doesn't drive if you can get like, you know, 20 times its value? Okay. So, Nomi, it's super important now to talk about how is this going to go wrong? Because it, we, we're living in this fantastical world where we could just print money electronically and we did it for to the tune of $6 trillion to help the richest people in the world in a way that is this, you know, Alice in Wonderland kind of system that we just explained. Um, so where does it end? Do they print uh, $60 trillion, $600 trillion? Uh, What goes wrong at some point? Um, well, we we saw what just went wrong, right? And 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 which is that they they printed about four and a half trillion into into the coronavirus crisis, um, and now they're printing more. What 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 had what we saw was that no matter how much they printed the last crisis around, when when a problem arose, and it was you know a problem that you know some people thought was coming, some people didn't know, but but when something that acute happened um, externally to the financial system that impacted the financial system, you know people on the bottom um, of that system, you know individual small businesses, um, people that aren't even sort of counted in that um, are the ones that most get hurt. Um, the markets, yes, they went down, but but the way it's working is the solution of the Fed creating all this money um, is the sole reason why the markets kind of turned around after reaching a very low point um, in in the middle of March because they're seeing that money is coming their way and so if money is coming their way it's going to elevate the stock market people are going to start to talk about that again. Um, and that's a dislocation from the real economy. And so we're going to get further and further away. Um, and then we're going to have another crisis. And at that point, you know, once we get through this one, the Fed creates all sorts of multiple trillions of dollars to continue to do this now. Um, that it will just continue to happen again. Th this is the problem. Yeah. The problem is it doesn't end because there is no limit. And, and the money isn't used in a proportional way that benefits the, the real economy from sort of the foundation up. No, no, I mean, there's got to be a reckoning. You, you can't have a house of cards like this and not have a reckoning. Well, well right I now, mean, you, you know, you're, you're going to have um, some corporate bankruptcies. You're going to, but, but what, the problem that's occurring, I believe, that will occur first um, is that it, it's going to be some of the smaller ones that don't have access to enough money to keep going um, or to, you know, sort of retool their their, their, their employees when, when they have the chance, all of them, that they had to let go. Um, and, and at the bigger companies who have these relationships with the Fed and their own banks, who have the relationships with the Fed plus the relationships they have with Washington um, and so forth, receive the benefit and they don't do the bankruptcies. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not like we want all companies to go bankrupt, but the point is they get a disproportionate, um, you know, piece of the pie. 
and and people don't. And what that means is the next reckoning, um, if you want to call that, is 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 a higher uh, a fall from a higher height. I mean, this is what I was talking about in 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 the end of my last book, in the end of collusion. Um, it, it was literally like we have a situation. I, I, it's the last page of this book, and I'm not saying this to to pull my book. It's just th- this is this is what was so obvious. You know, companies had all of this cheap money that was manufactured, you know, to banks, you know, from the Fed, through banks from the Fed, um, and, and they used it to buy their stock. Banks use it to buy their stock. They used it to, you know, pay dividends to people to inflate their stock. They used the stock to inflate their, um, you know, their compensation. They, they didn't put enough away in reserve for um, an emergency, um, whatever the size of that emergency, it's just even anything. And anything that could have been enough that they could have used and pointed to and been like, look, you know, we've got some of this. That that did not happen. Um, and so as a result, and I said this um, in, in the book as well, you were going to get a point. There was going to be some external thing that was going to happen. And all of that borrowing, all of that cheap money and, and, and zero and low interest rates that allow companies to borrow and buy stock and borrow and buy stock and borrow and buy stock for literally no cost to them. Because because you know interest rates were so low to them um, was going to cave, and and that's what we saw. Um, you know, at the 30, 35 percent market drop, that all caved. The, the sort of value of their credit of their debt caved. Then the Fed comes in and says, no, you know, we're going to scoop up the bottom, and so now we're sort of back in the same, you know, sort of negative cycle. Yeah. All right. Uh, this thing's going to blow. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen. It's, it's going to, ha- it's all, it's, you know, what? it's already happening again. It's mm-hmm. already happening again. And we're not, we're not out of this phase. Uh, I, you know, last time I gave the analogy of the housing market was a trigger, the derivative bets that they made, uh, on top of those mortgages That's were right. the gun. Right. Yeah. So in this case, uh, even bigger picture, uh, I think that a, the next crisis, either this one or the next one, could be the trigger. But the gun is the Federal Reserve buying endless amounts of assets. Yeah, that's and everything. That's going to create time- a catastrophe and a Great Depression like nothing we've ever seen before. That's yeah. worse than any of these individual crises. Yeah, no, it's like it's like that third time problem, third time the sort of negative charm. It's It's... We, we we failed to figure out what to do last time. We made it worse into this particular crisis um, with respect to, to the Fed, with respect to the risk that's taken on in the system, and then other people um, actually, you know, fall under that, the weight of the, the problems that then, then happen. Um, and now we're, we're recreating it to be a, just a bigger problem. And, and, and I do think, first of all, it's going to take a while to get out of this, this phase. Um, but I do think the next one is going to be even bigger because that's what's been happening. Each time we don't learn from the last time, and each time we're basically, you know, facing a fall from a, a just higher height of of debt, of of derivatives, of sort of, you know, the the creation of money against no value um, to supposedly solve things um, that doing that doesn't solve. Yeah. All right. Nomi Prince, uh, one of the top experts in the country on this, definitely check out our book Collusion, uh, where you'll see that reference that uh, Nomi was talking about and get a, a full picture of how these crises happen and who takes advantage of them. Uh, Nomi, thank you so much for joining us on The Air Appreciate it. Thank you.